the series. Last week we talked about anti-social media. You can listen to that online at wellaz.org. And then you know the title today. And then sur- Surviving Workplace Drama. And then November 10th, Reducing Financial Anxiety, right before we get into the holiday season. And we're tempted to, to spend a lot of money. And then on November 17th, our special guest is going to be Colby Martin. Colby's been here before. He wrote a book called Unclobber that has been inspirational to so many people. He's working on a new book called The Shift. And it's going to be released uh, this spring. And it's about changing faith. It's about uh, you know, growing in your faith and questioning things, going through deconstruction, reconstruction. And what do you really believe and making sense of that? And, and so just going through that spiritual journey. And so Colby's going to be sharing uh, on November 17th the material that everybody else is going to hear in the spring. So actually, you're going to be the first audience that's going to hear material from his new book on November 17th. So that's where we're headed in the series. Now, today, uh, like I said, the message is kind of in two parts. We are talking about raising kids in a bullying world, but we're also going to talk about our experience as adults. And so first, uh, if you are a parent or a grandparent or you're an aunt or uncle, there are kids that you love, this is just good information for you. And you might find yourself identifying as well because we were all kids at one point. and, And we may talk about some things actually that bring up some emotion for you. And if that happens, just want to say that's okay. Uh, but we want to start at least talking about you know, raising kids in a bullying world. So if you're a parent or an aunt and uncle or you love, you just love you know, a little tyke and you remember when they were born, you hold them in your arms. And it's just like they're a blank slate. And you have all these hopes and dreams for them. And, and, and the world is full of possibilities and what their lives can be, what they can grow to become, and, and you just hold them in, their arms, in, in your arms, and if you drive them home from the hospital, you go five miles an hour, because you just want to protect them from all harm, and, and your home is a safe, loving place for them, and, and you adore them, and you want to resource them, and, and, put, and point them in the right direction, and your greatest joy in life is to watch them grow. And watch them change and learn and, and even the simple things in life when they realize it for the first time. You know, my son has a good time. He's three. He has a good time turning lights on and off. He, when he flips the switch, he just realizes, oh, I have efficacy in life, I guess. I mean, I'm just guessing what's going through his mind. But he just has fun. He, so he's learning about how the lights work. And I just, I love that. And, and so you, you have all these hopes and dreams for your kids. And you want to protect them and help them to meet any challenge. And, and no matter who they are. No matter what their struggles are, no matter what other people might perceive as their weaknesses, you don't see those. You just see this little being created in the image of God, and in your image too, perhaps. Or maybe if you've adopted, they're in the image of God for sure. And you see that. And you also know that not everyone in the world will see what you see. But that you will do anything to help them meet any limitations, any challenges. And so there was a video that went viral this week. It's about a minute long. I just want to, and the, the mom, she's speaking in a different language, but it doesn't matter what language you speak because you're going to be able to identify with this. If you, if you just love some little child, there was a little boy who has cerebral palsy, and somehow he watched skateboarding on TV, or maybe he saw kids you know, skateboarding in a skate park, and he decided that he wanted to, to skateboard. And maybe some of you have seen this video this week, and, and he, of course he's not able to do that. And so his mom enlisted the help, his loving, awesome mother enlisted the help of some pro skateboarders who knew how to build some things. And they built this contraption for this little boy so he could live out his dream to skateboard. Let's watch. 
dois, tá preparado? Então bora. Um, dois, três e... Love is a universal language, isn't it? And she, as this loving mom, she sees her son's limitations and, and she just says, whatever it takes. We're going to do whatever it takes to meet my son wherever he needs to be met out of love because I love him and that's what I see. He's, he's my child and I love him. And of course, there are lots of people in the world who will not view him in that way. And no matter what struggle it is or anything that makes a child appear different, there are people in our world who will not view that child, unfortunately, the way that his mother does. And so you drop that child off for, to school for the first time, and you cry tears of joy and tears of worry all at the same time, and, and because you know that this world can be a rough place. And as that child grows up, they're going to face people who don't view them the same way that the, the, a loving mother does, or father, and they're going to face a difficult time at the hands of some people. According to StopBullying.gov, a government site on government prevention, between 25% and a third of students say they have been bullied, mostly in person, some, of course, increasingly through cyberbullying, through social media. Most bullying happens in middle school. The most common types are verbal and social bullying. Of course, physical bullying happens, but the most common types are verbal and social bullying. Of course, bullying happens at any age, but this just seems to be a crescendo you know, during the middle school years. Of course, we've heard the, the, the saying, sticks and stones uh, may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Is that true? Not even close, is it? It's not even remotely true of things that are untrue. There are very few things that are more untrue than that. And so most bullying is social and verbal. And the child is just hearing messages. Think about some of the messages this child would hear in, in, in our world. They're hearing messages that they internalize. There are, of course, at-risk groups, groups that are, at, that are at a higher risk of being bullied. Young people who are perceived as different in any way, even in the, in, in the most trivial of ways, are more susceptible to bullying. Of course, we know this, but it's good to just say it out loud, acknowledge it. So let's just look. Children who are overweight or underweight, children who wear glasses or different looking clothing, being new to a school or being unable to afford what the kids consider cool, those kids are at a higher risk of being bullied. Kids that are, who are perceived as weak or unable to defend themselves, kids who are depressed or anxious uh, or have low self-esteem, Kids who, are, of course, are less popular, or they just have fewer friends. Maybe they don't have an outgoing personality, and just little things like that even makes a child more susceptible to bullying. Children who, who don't get along well with others, or they're seen as annoying or provoking, or they look for attention in ways that maybe antagonize kids, they're more susceptible to bullying. And then LGBT youth, there's a, there's a whole new realization of the plight of LGBT kids um, and the bullying they face. And so when we th think about bullying, whether it's a child or as an adult, we don't associate bullying with an adult often, but here's the connection. 
we're not just talking about shaking a kid down for their lunch money. That, maybe that's one type of bullying, but it goes far beyond that. It's the comments people make to us. Or as we, as a child walks into school, here we are in a school cafeteria, or you walk into work as an adult, it's the feeling they get from the other people around them. Am I accepted here? Do people care about me here? Do they see me as valuable, worthy? Do I, am I worthy of dignity here? What, what are the messages that I'm getting? Even the nonverbal feedback, eye contact. Am I acknowledged? Am I seen? Or am I, do I feel invisible? Do I feel judged even by the way people you know, react to me non-verbally. And so they, the child walks into a situation and begins to internalize those messages, and that's true of you too, back when, back when you were a child. And over time, of course, you know, those messages we pick up, we just, we just tend to adopt them. We tend to believe what we're told. And unless there's some incredibly powerful, positive force in our lives, we hear those messages, and without even realizing it, we begin to believe those things, even the non-verbals. We see our worth based on how people respond to us when we walk in to the room. And we don't even question these messages because we don't know they're there. We're, we're blind to them because we don't know anything else until maybe you have some realization. Maybe you look back in your life and you, there are points where you had like an epiphany. And you realize, wait a second, I've been believing this about myself and it's not true. And you're liberated. But that takes time, doesn't it? It takes experience, and it takes receiving messages from other people and learning to accept yourself. And so we, we internalize those messages without realizing it. We take them into adulthood. They can affect marriages. They can affect our, our ability uh, to succeed at work. They can affect our spiritual community relationships, any friendships we have, those messages that we have internalized. And so today we're talking, yes, about raising kids in a bullying world, but we're realizing that we're all kids who have grown up. And so this speaks uh, to all of us. Today, So uh, what I want to do here, first of all, is invite somebody who uh, is more knowledgeable than I am in this field. Um, uh, Phoebe Warren is going to come up here in just a moment, and she's going to share with us some information about bullying, the short and long-term effects of bullying, and what we can do to address that. Um, maybe you're a parent, like I said earlier, and this applies immediately to you because you have a child who could be facing a situation like this. Maybe you did face a situation like this when you were a kid, or maybe it's... Maybe you're an adult and you're realizing, wait a second, I'm in a situation where I can be mistreated or I've internalized messages about myself. So this applies to everybody. So I'm going to give her a proper introduction. I'm going to invite Phoebe up. Phoebe Warren is a therapist and life coach. She earned a Master of Counseling from ASU in 1999 in Family Systems and Early Childhood Development. She previously worked at the Phoenix Job Corps with at-risk youth. And she's a certified transformational life coach and presently works mostly with adults seeking to reach their highest potential. And she's going to share about bullying today. And so let's welcome Phoebe. Let's have a big hand for Phoebe. Come on up. I'm going to hand you this microphone, Phoebe. I'm going to hand you this one. And if you come over here, there we go. We'll switcheroo on you. Here you go. Um, First of all, thanks for being willing to share. Of course. I know it's hard to take me seriously in bunny ears. Well, it's the Sunday before Halloween, so it's okay. We invite everybody to wear a costume, and they're gonna, right. if they're having trouble, they're going to be able to take you seriously very quickly. Okay. Um, all right. Because um, you're speaking about something that you understand, that comes from your experience uh, in uh, your counseling uh, vocation. And so if you would just start off um, sharing, what are the, 
what are the short-term effects of bullying to a kid's life? Just whatever you want to say about how important it is that we address this and we're informed about this. Right. Well, when we talk about bullying, there's three populations that we really look at that are affected. The bully, oh, thank you. <laughs> the bully is impacted, the victim is impacted, and witnesses are impacted. But for the purposes of this discussion, we're just going to talk about the target of the bullying, the victim. Um, really, bullying is meant to harm, humiliate, harass, expose um, an individual. And when you consider that, it really does affect the person's self-esteem, how they view themselves, and kind of how they determine what their place is socially in the world. So what we see for um, the short-term effects are low self-esteem, depression and anxiety, uh, changes in sleep and eating patterns, a lack of interest in going to school, so they'll miss school. That's going to affect their academic achievement. Um, we've got a sense of isolation, and you're going to have some kind of psychosomatic complaints where kids are going to have stomach aches and headaches and general pain syndrome, and it's not going to have a medical cause. Unfortunately, a lot of these symptoms, if they're not recognized and the bullying continues, this can turn into a more permanent type of situation long after the bullying's over. And so it goes far beyond the short-term effects. Right. I took my son, Graham, to Dad and Me camp this week. Uh -huh. Just had a quick conversation with a dad in the, in the Southeast Valley who said his kindergarten child has been coming home with tummy aches and talks about how the kids at school are mean. Just to what you're saying. Right. Perfect. Right. So it's not just about the short term. There are sure. long-term effects. And so would you mind sharing a little bit about those long-term effects? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if it's not attended to, you know, like Ryan was saying earlier in the sermon, if, you know, we go into adulthood and we haven't really dealt with these things and it's really gotten in, um, then you're, the child is at risk or the adult for chronic depression. And it becomes a chronic issue where the serotonin's depleted and there's a, you know, more of a lifelong kind of issue there. Um, an anxiety disorder, PTSD, um, we find that uh, there's more self-harm. There are, uh, it's more possible that there's gonna be suicide thoughts, plans, and attempts. Um, we've got uh, social difficulties in maintaining uh, proper relationships and feeling safe in a relationship and developing those kinds of friendships and long-lasting relationships. Um, basically, they have uh, poor general health, too, um, because they don't take as good care of themselves. Um, some of these kids, when they get older, since they don't see themselves as very competent, they have a lot of trouble in work environments. And you had mentioned also with work, it has ramifications for that. Um, if they, you know, with bullying, they tend to give up a little bit more easily. So that kind of persistence and determination in a work environment isn't there. Um, and that's why it's so important that we, as parents, teachers, anyone who interacts with kids on a regular basis, be really attentive to the signs of bullying behavior so that we can put an end to it. And particularly watch over and closely monitor any kids that are possible victims of bullying. Yeah. Yeah. 
What can we do? Yeah, what can, no, uh, it's not just about the short-term effects, but the right. long-term effects. It highlights right. how important this is that we have a zero-tolerance policy. Absolutely. Right? The, the correct response is to stop it. So what do we do to prevent bullying if we right. see that? Right. So, you know, the first step, since we've talked about symptoms, is to pay attention to the signs. And again, you know, paying close attention to those early symptoms of the general malaise and, you know, kind of those, I have a tummy ache, I have a headache, I don't want to go to school, um, worries and fears, bad dreams, um, and it's going to be those types of things. But keeping in mind that those can be symptoms of a lot of other things as well. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to ask that because the mic's going back and forth. Um, and I think that, you know, you with younger kids, you want to keep it fairly general. Um, but, you know, you want to ask them, like, how's it going at school? Who are you friends with? Um, who's bothering you? Who are you not getting along with? Kind of get them to talk about things. Um, if you recognize that there's a problem or if they express that there's a problem, then you want to dig a little deeper for some details. With older kids, they're more able to, you know, they're very socially aware and you can ask more detailed questions. The important thing is to, you know, listen with your mind open and don't overreact. They need you to be calm and steady and stable. And parents have a tendency to, um, you know, get angry and upset. And they don't need that. They're already upset about it. They need you to show that you can handle the situation and that you're going to be there for them regardless. Um, so once you've determined that they're being bullied, um, the first step is you want to brainstorm some solutions for them. And even if they're not being bullied before this even occurs, it's a good idea to talk to kids about, you know, bullies at school or what they would do if they were in this kind of situation and kind of prepare a toolkit for them because when they get in a situation with a bully or a friend who's being bullied, they're not thinking straight. They automatically react. So it's a good idea to have some tools to use um, in that kind of a situation. And one thing you could do is create a list of responses. Like, hey, back off, leave me alone, that's not nice, whatever, and walk away. With the responses, the important thing is not to be antagonistic to the bully. You don't want to aggravate them, like say, yeah, well, you smell, or something like that. You know, you definitely want to diffuse the situation and walk away. Don't bully back. Exactly. Diffuse and walk away. That's exactly. That's yeah. Um, you can role, role place what if scenarios and have your child kind of, you practice being the bully and have your child practice back to you and have them practice until they feel really confident. And it really empowers them when they get in that kind of situation. So, you know, have them also practice like a, at three, your child is old enough to try some tricks, like look directly in your friend's eyes and to look at the color of your friend's eyes. So they appear confident because when a child is looking down or, you know, seems intimidated, a bully takes advantage of that. So tell her, practice looking at your friend's color of their eyes. 
and practice a brave face, a sad face, a happy face in the mirror, when someone's bothering you, put on your brave face and look them straight in the eye. So, because often how you look is almost more important than what you say. Um, basically, keep an open line of communication. You need to check in with your kids every single day and know what's going on at school. Know who they're friends with, know who's not so nice. Create a warm, open, nurturing environment so they feel safe sharing. Let them know their safety and you know their esteem is important to you and that they need to share if anything's going on with you or an adult, anyone they're comfortable with. Um, build their confidence. This was one thing that you mentioned with the at-risk kids, that kids who have lower self-esteem or depressed or anxious are more at risk for being bullied. So the best way to prevent bullying is to increase your child's self-esteem. If, they, if they're confident and if they have good social connections and uh, you know, they feel good about themselves, they're less likely to be a target. But even if they are a target, they're gonna overcome better. They're gonna feel more confident dealing with it. Um, so it's really important to encourage any activities and social situations where it builds confidence and boosts the self-esteem of your child. You want to praise progress. If your child diffuses a bullier, then you want to, or a bully, you want to praise them. Or if you see another child taking care of a bullying situation, you want to point it out and say, maybe you can copy that behavior. Look what that child did. Um, and ultimately, it's, it's up to you to help them deal with bullying. Um, so it's your job to take action, and you need to report if it's repeated severe bullying. Go to the school, document instances. In, in the event that um, it's like very, very obvious, this is kind of only if it's kind of persistent and um, it's repeated severe issue and you know the other child's parents, only in the case that you feel like they might be responsive and open to talking, you could go to them in a really non-confrontational way and say, you know, hey, Susie came home from school really upset every day last week. She says that, you know, your daughter is, um, you know, calling her names and excluding her from games on the playground. I'm wondering if, you know, she mentioned that to you and do you have any suggestions of how we can help them get along better? and see if you can work with the other parents in a, in a you know, cooperative manner. Um, and then ultimately, really, you just want to teach coping skills. You want to model the kind of behavior for your kids that you want them to show. And that's that they're, they can be open with their feelings. So you need to be open with your feelings, you know, to the extent of, you know, when I get scared, this is what I do. And this is how I deal. Um, because you don't want them to bottle things up and then have these chronic, long-lasting right. issues. Right. Um, the thing you do not want to do ever is assume that this is normal teen or young, you know, preteen behavior and that it's okay. It's just stuff that they go through and everyone goes through it. Um, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop it and we need to do everything we can to prevent bullying. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Can we uh, thank Phoebe for her sharing here today? Thank you so much.
I'll take that from you. Perfect. Now, I want to uh, transition to talking about the big kids in the room. Have you ever had this, this thought or this realization where you see yourself doing something or thinking something or you just, you just and it's an introspective moment and you realize, man, I've, I've done this since I was a kid or I've thought this way since I was a kid or I can look back over my own life and I can see, well, I was interested in this hobby then and I kind of put it on the back burner and no, no wonder I'm interested in it now because I, I, I did that when I was a kid. And have you ever had those kind of moments of realization about yourself? I think as adults, we tend to lose track of the fact that you know, we have internalized everything that we've ever experienced as we grow up. And as Phoebe mentioned, things happen to us and they do have a long-term effect. Maybe you weren't bullied, but we're all products of our environment, our home lives, our, our church experiences, um, extended family members. And maybe you've come to the place in life where you know, you're realizing there are some messages I've internalized or there's some things I believe about myself or some struggles that Phoebe mentioned, anxiety that's even affecting my work or various things. And you look back and you're, you know, maybe that actually started there years ago. Maybe that's where that comes from, actually, and I just haven't really paid attention to the chain of events and, and this thread throughout my life of just this kind of a thing. A good counselor could help you see that, by the way. And if this sermon just led you to contact a counselor and talk more about it, I would consider that a win. That would be great success for me if you decided, you know what, I just want to talk to somebody about this because maybe that would help as well. But I do want to touch on, briefly, depression and suicide. And it's a great day to do it because the kids are having a great time outside and they don't have to sit in on super heavy subjects like this and we can have an adult conversation in the room. So depression affects about 25% of American adults, 20 to 25% of American adults in some way every year. That's an astounding number. 20 to 25% of Americans every year touched by depression in some way. Suicide takes the lives of almost 45,000 Americans every year. There is one suicide, successful suicide, for every estimated 25 suicide attempts. Listen to this. The suicide rate in the United States for people under 25 is the highest it's ever been since we began recording it in 1960. Suicide rate's the highest it's ever been since we started recording it. For girls and young women, suicide rates have mostly followed a steady upward trajectory since the year 2000. It's moving steadily upward, roughly um, doubling between 2000 and 2017. These are, these are unbelievable numbers. The suicide rate for boys has risen sharply in the last three to four years. It's interesting, isn't it? So the, the, every, all the suicide rate is going up. For, for girls and young women, it's doubled since the year 2000. For boys, it's risen sharply just in the past three or four years. Interesting. Um, lesbian, gay, and bisexual kids are three times more likely than straight kids to attempt suicide at some point in their lives. Each time an LGBTQ person is a victim of physical or verbal harassment or abuse, they become two and a half times more likely to hurt themselves. You see the effect of words. Every time counts. As Phoebe said, we, just, we have to have a zero tolerance policy. And if we see bullying, we're going, to, we're going to put it into it. The most high risk group for suicide is middle-aged men. Did you know that? Uh, the group that is most high risk 
for suicide. Factors include not having friend support, not uh, having a, a sense of purpose or meaning, that there's a place you can go where there, you have a community of people who care about you and, and you can say what you need to say and get it off your chest and, and there are people who love you and care about you and, and a sense of meaning and purpose and hope and inspiration that there's more to, to living for than maybe what you feel right now. And then just by the way, what is a place in our society where you can f- have community and hope and inspiration and people who will love you and listen to you? Well, I hope it's right here. The church. I think what you and I do here every week is actually vitally important to giving hope and community and inspiration to people, especially all the time, of course, but especially in those times when we need it the most. And how many of you realize there are times when somebody may be at one of their lowest lows and you just have no idea? Have you experienced that? Maybe you've been there yourself or a loved one. You may never know even how your presence here, as we're a new small church here in the valley, how your presence here and your smile and your hello and your greeting or your connect group involvement or your ministry team involvement could be an inspiration to somebody to say, you know what, you, you're loved here and you belong and welcome home and there's hope. I want to share a number with you. My, my cell phone is outside plugged into a speaker playing music right now. I want to invite you, if you'd be willing to indulge me, if you would pull out your cell phone. Everybody here, would you pull out your cell phone? And... Uh, We're going to wrap it up here in just a few minutes, but I want to share something with you that's very, very important. And once again, you may never know when you might need this or somebody you love might need this. So I'm going to invite you to pull out your cell phone right now, and you see a phone number on the screen. This is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I wonder if you would just click on your contacts, if you would just go to your contacts, and would you type in that number, 1-800-273-8255. Five, five. That is a beautiful sound right now. The keypads, I love it. Type in that number, 800-273-8255. You never know. L- listen to the statistics that we read. You never know when you might personally feel the need to call that number or you might talk to somebody and you realize, you know what? This might just feel awkward, but I'm going to tell you what. Can I just share this with you? Because we all get low at times, and I just want to share this number with you. And you'll be able to whip out your phone and show this number to somebody. How does that sound? It's very good. In the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. All right? And you can dial that number anytime, 24-7, and somebody's going to pick up, and you're going to hear that person who cares to be there, and that they're going to tell you um, what we're going to talk about next. And we're going to close today with uh, a passage It's two verses from the teaching of Jesus. It's probably one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. And in just the remaining few minutes we have left, before we go out and we have lunch together, I just want to talk about this passage for a moment. And it's the teaching of Jesus to turn the other cheek. How many of you realize this can just be really confusing and awkward and weird? Don't be afraid to raise your hands. How many of you have thought about this before? And what does this actually mean for my lives? I put you to sleep. How many many people are awake enough? How many of you have actually thought about, man, this is just a weird passage sometimes. How do I interpret this? What does it mean for me? Does it mean that Christians, people who want to follow Jesus, just, just let people do whatever they want, mistreat us, they can bully us, we can go into work and people can play games with us, and we just kind of take it because we follow sweet, dear Lord, baby Jesus, you know, meek and mild, and we just, whatever, whatever people do to us, we just have to be nice 
and we just turn the other cheek. There are people who have been in marriages for years, who have been a part of church environments, and they think turning the other cheek means that they allow their spouse to mistreat them. There are people in dating relationships who do the same thing. There are people who are just in friendships that are, that are toxic. And they think that somehow turning the other cheek means that they just take it and they're doormats. And, and whatever, whatever treatment people give them, they just, they just put up with it because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I want to read these verses. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. They come from the Sermon on the Mount, part of Jesus' most famous teaching. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And the common interpretation is, you know, it just means I just let, I don't resist. I just let them do whatever they want. They can hurt me however they want, and, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a good, nice Christian person. That's not what that verse means. Uh, and, of course, here at the well, we talk about interpreting the Bible in light of its historical context and how important that is and knowing you know, we're stepping into an ancient world. When we read Scripture, we're stepping into the teaching of Jesus 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet. And it's not, probably, I mean, almost 99.9% not what this teaching means. And so we kind of get this today, but especially in the ancient world, um, when you slap someone, if you slap someone with an open hand, I mean, that's assault, that's bad enough, but there's a way of slapping someone that is viewed as even a greater insult to them. It's a degrading way of slapping somebody. It's a, it's, yes, it's the physical assault, but, but it's the way that you strike them that is actually dismissive. There's a gesture of dismissing somebody. Like they're just, they're just less than, they're just not worthy. And, and, and so I, I can mistreat you because you're just less than me. And of course, you can see that gesture, can't you? you know, slapping somebody with an open hand, that's bad enough, but a backhanded slap, even it communicates more. It's an insult. There are translators that translate this, when someone insults you, do not insult them back. Essentially, that's, that's the meaning. Yes, there's the physical part, but it's, it's thought that what Jesus is referring here to is a backhanded slap. And if you think about it, just using the laws of physics, if a, if a right-handed person slaps you on the cheek, what cheek are they hitting you on? The left cheek, correct? And if, so you, they've, they've struck you on the, on the left cheek, and if you turn the other cheek, you're turning the right one. And I guess that would mean you're inviting them to hit you with their left hand. I don't know, you know, because that's... Right? Or you would be inviting them to backhand you, and that doesn't quite make sense. And so the thinking here is that Jesus is referring to this dismissive, insulting, backhanded slap that we know from the ancient world was viewed as a way of insulting somebody. And we still kind of get that today. But he's, he's referring to backhanding somebody. And so if a right-handed person backhands you, they're striking you on your right cheek, correct? And so you would turn like this. And if you were going to turn the other cheek, that means you would turn your left cheek to them. And then if you say, I'm inviting you to strike me again, now how are they going to have to hit you? Yeah, I mean, they, they can hit you with the left hand, sure. But what you're inviting them to do at this point would be, if they're using their right hand, to slap you with an open hand. Does everybody see that? If they're backhanding you and you're turning the other cheek, 
then you're turning your left cheek to them and you're inviting them to strike you with the, it's still assault, but the, the, non, the less degrading ancient world insult of a backhand. You can say, you can slap me again, but this time, if you choose to slap me again, you're going to slap me as somebody who is your equal. You're going to slap me as somebody who is not less than you, who does not deserve to be disrespected, who, who, who you cannot just dismiss with this dismissing and send me away, defeat me, this backhanded gesture. If you slap me again, you're going to slap me now as somebody who's created in the image of God and worthy of respect. And if you want to do that, you can. I'm not going to hit you back. But if you want to hit me again, you're going to hit me as your equal. That's a big difference, isn't it? And notice that the teaching is also from, you know, from Jesus. It's not, you know, if somebody strikes you, well, just hit them back. Well, that's, that's bullying back, as Phoebe mentioned. And that's, that's just going to lead to a cycle of violence that never ends. And it's also not, well, just do whatever you want. You can treat me however you want because I don't deserve any better. And I'll just internalize that. And I guess you are better than me. And I'll just walk away because I'm a good, nice person. And then you can go around backhanding other people too. And I'm not going to do anything about that. That's not the teaching of Jesus either. Jesus is saying to us here, it's a nonviolent response, but it's a response now that proclaims the truth. That this person who is the aggressor, this bully, or this coworker, or this parent, or whoever it is in your life, this person is no better than you. This person is, is living in a fantasy world if they think that somehow they can demean other people and dismiss them and get rid of them and disrespect them and know the truth is that you and I are two people created in God's image and we're both worthy of respect. That's why I'm not going to hit you back. I'm not going to stoop to that level. And if you, and if you want to hit me again, what, also, what message does that also send? Ever seen kids in a fight and one of them's like, hit me again, hit me again. Like it sends the message, you know what, you have no power over me. You may feel like you do. You may live in this, this delusion that you can just dismiss people and disrespect them. You bully them, mistreat them, play games with them. But no, we're, we're going to live in reality now. And if you're going to hit me again, you're going you're gonna to hit me as somebody who is, who is your equal. That's, that's what it means to turn the other cheek. And if you have internalized messages because of, you know, in various ways, people dismissing you, insulting you, bullying you, mistreating you, playing games with you, attacking you. It could be office politics. It could be anything. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll talk more about that next week. But the teaching of Jesus here is no. It, turning the other cheek does not mean that you just take, take it. It means proclaiming the truth. No, I'm somebody who's created in God's image. And I deserve respect. And I'm not going to perpetuate the violence and the bullying and the games but I'm also not going to let it continue either. That's a lot different, isn't it, than, than the common belief about what turning the other cheek means. I want to close with this. As we said last week in the antisocial media sermon, that a lot of uh, attack now you know, comes through the Internet. And we, we see that, and we kind of internalize those messages. We, you know, we make the mistake of reading the Facebook comments. And you say, wow, that can be depressing. And there's just so much anger and, and, and bullying even online, no matter what age you are. And there was this example here earlier this year. How many of you know who the comedian Patton Oswalt is? All right, he, he has a huge Twitter following, and, and um, 
he, he's pretty politically engaged, and he, made, he tweeted something that was, it was a political message. And there was a man named Michael Beatty, who is a 65-year-old Vietnam vet, and he saw Patton Oswalt's tweet, and he became angry, and he shot back uh, kind of an attacking tweet toward Patton, or toward, uh, yeah, Patton Oswalt. And um, Michael uh, tweeted him back, I enjoyed seeing your character in the movie Blade, Trinity, die so horribly. He tweeted that back to Patton Oswalt after he read this tweet that he didn't like to. And then he wrote another tweet poking fun at the actor's height, right? Making fun of Patton uh, Oswalt's height. Now, looking back, Beatty says it was harsh, uncalled for, and embarrassing. But here was Oswalt's response. Now, obviously, Patton Oswalt is a celebrity. He's, he's wealthy compared to most people, and he comes from a position of power. A child, if you are helping them to see themselves in that way, maybe they can view themselves that way. And all of us, of course, we can choose to be empowered by the message of Jesus, and we can view ourselves as a person in power and coming from a place in power when we really understand the meaning of turn the other cheek. But here's what Oswald uh, did. He scrolled through Beatty's Twitter feed, and he saw that um, Beatty was facing some serious health issues. He had a GoFundMe. He had a long hospital stay, and he had medical bills piling up, and he was trying to raise money to pay his medical bills. And so Oswald tweeted this, and I have a screenshot. He said, uh, oh, man, this dude just attacked me on Twitter, and I joked back. But then I looked at his timeline, and he's in a lot of trouble health-wise. I'd be pissed off, too. He's been dealing with some you know, blank, he's been, or he's been dealt some blank cards. Uh, let's deal him some good ones. Click and donate, just like I'm about to do. And Patton Oswalt tweeted out this guy's GoFundMe link. And so what happened was Oswalt's followers started responding and donating to Michael Beatty's GoFundMe to help him uh, take care of his medical bills. Oswalt donated two grand uh, to Michael Beatty's GoFundMe account and his millions of followers, and he encouraged them to do the same. Some donated money. Others sent encouraging messages to, uh, to uh, Michael Beatty. His GoFundMe account grew to $50,000 because of Oswald you know, tweeting out this message. And so Oswald's generosity spread from a place of power. Let's acknowledge that. From a place of power, he decided his response to Beatty's bullying was going to be to show kindness to this guy. And his show of kindness arrested Beatty. It, it caught him completely off guard. And it had what Beatty called a large cascade effect. He said, I honestly truly thought I was dreaming. And this couldn't be happening in real life. One act of kindness led to the next. And Beatty said, I realized that knee-jerk reactions to things are not the way to go. You know, just returning violence for violence or bullying for bullying. He says, it led him to slow down and reflect, what kind of person have I been, he asked himself. And then Beatty tweeted out, I want to thank everyone who came to my aid with generous outpourings and also Pat and Oswalt, about whom I would not be, without whom, sorry, I would not be the recipient of so much love and support. I'm not a man who ever cries, but I had to wait uh, to send this. And, and, and then he quoted Stuart from the Big Bang Theory, Meet Tonight. And, and he says, he, when he wrote those angry tweets, he was in a bad place, angry at himself for letting his health deteriorate. And he said it was easy to snap back and just, and just bully, lash out in anger. 
He said that Beatty, uh, Beatty said his empathy, uh, the empathy shown toward him changed him. He said he's begun to think people are good. And he realized that politics divide people, but one-on-one, people are caring, generous, and helpful. And he said even, he said it's affected him personally. He said over the past month, my anger level has just been coming down after this act of kindness. And he said, I used to just have serious road rage. But he said, now if someone wants to get over, I'll wave them in. He's like, I've changed. I'm a changed man. That was his, that was his proof. And so, once again, that's coming from a place of power in dealing with a bully. But perhaps you, as an adult, if, if you're internalizing the message of Jesus and what it really means to turn the other cheek, realize that you are empowered. Now maybe, as we shared earlier, you have internalized messages throughout your life. Maybe you can look back throughout your life and you see this thread of how things have affected you. Or maybe you're a parent or an aunt and uncle or grandparent and you see this in your kids. And um, Everybody, according to the real meaning of turn the other cheek, everybody is worthy of dignity and respect. And when we see a child who is being disrespected, mistreated, our, our correct response as an adult is to stop that. And using the ways that Phoebe shared, um, to have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to disrespecting and taking away the dignity of children. But if you are an adult and you are tempted at times uh, to believe those messages, or if you are in a point in your life where there are times, if you were very honest, that you would say that you're tempted to check out. And sometimes you wonder if it's all worth it. You know, or if you would just be better off gone. And I I want to say just as strongly as I can that the message of Jesus for you, even in something like turn the other cheek, is that you deserve to live. If the whole world bullied you and you feel like your friends and family don't love you and you feel alone in this world and you feel like there is no hope and it's not going to get any better and, and you just feel like you don't have a community to go to, First of all, I would assure you that's not really true, but I want to just acknowledge that maybe that's how you feel. I want to assure you of something uh, because words are powerful and words have affected you and maybe they've gotten you to this point, but Jesus, who in scripture is called the word, the word of God, what God has to say to you, Jesus says to you, you are worthy of dignity and respect. Your life is worth living. You are worthy to live. Even if you don't think anybody else thinks that, Jesus says you are worthy to live. You are worthy to not harm yourself. You are worthy to call the suicide prevention hotline. You are worthy to seek a community of people who love you. You're worthy to talk to a counselor. Your life is worth that. Even if you feel like nobody else thinks so, Jesus thinks that your life is worth it and that you are worth it. And at our lowest moments, we're all tempted to believe lies based on messages that we've heard. But you are worthy to live.